In today's episode, I'm going to explain how to stop going back to square one once and for all. And I'm going to put this into context with alcohol and drinking, but you can use this strategy in any area that you're struggling with. Because once you realize there's no such thing as square one, you can stop beating yourself up and finally give yourself permission to be a complicated, messy human who's smart enough to know the best lessons come from failure. My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a soberish recovery coach helping high achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. Welcome back, everybody. It's so good to have you here. Before I get started, if you are one of my people, and for some reason you don't finish this episode, fast forward to the 36-minute mark for a really special announcement. But in today's episode, we are talking about that horrible place we all refer to as square one. How many times have you been there? Even though you read the latest self-help book on changing your habits and carefully laid out a new strategy where you're going to alternate drinks with water, you're not going to drink during the week, you switched from wine to vodka or vodka to wine or beer to wine, or you traded your heavier alcohol content IPAs for a lighter version you're delaying your start time, you're setting an alarm on your phone for an end time, you go to the store and buy exactly enough for one night so you can't possibly screw this up, and then you wake up with a hangover. Welcome to square one. Can we just stop and acknowledge how awful this feels? I know you've been there. You know I've been there. I can remember in the first few moments when I would wake up in the morning, telling my brain literally, like, can you give me a minute before we start the beat down? Like, could I get a cup of coffee? Could I just brush my teeth before we go over how much I suck and how I'm never going to get it right and I don't have any willpower and what the hell was I thinking and why couldn't I just stick with the plan? What is wrong with me? I probably experienced that at least once a week. You know, even though I was a daily drinker, there were many, many nights where I did stick to my plan. I'm talking about when you feel like you've made some progress, you've reduced your alcohol intake, you know, by some percentage for a while and you've kept your shit together in public and you're starting to feel like, oh, I got it. I can do this. Like, yeah, yeah, this is what it feels like to be normal or dare say I slightly happy. And then something happens or maybe nothing happens. You're just having fun and not paying attention. And of course, when you are drinking, your judgment, eh, it's a little loose, maybe a little flexible. And over the course of an evening, one extra drink becomes two, and suddenly, here you are. And I gotta say, 
that the mistake that you're making, that I made, that we all make, is to think that the mistake we made was the night before. But there's a critical distinction that I want to point out here, and that is the definition of awareness. Awareness is understanding that there's a difference between what's happening in your mind and what's happening in the real world. So while we could both discuss the mistake that was made the night before, when you find yourself back at the proverbial square one, you must understand that the night before no longer exists. And you have to learn how to deal with your feelings and your reality in the present moment. The mistake that keeps you coming back to square one is to deal with square one with black or white, all or nothing thinking and seeing square one as a setback, thinking that you're right back where you started and that you have to start all over. What you need to realize in this moment is how powerful the language is in your brain, the story you're telling yourself about what has happened. And I know that it is not fun to wake up with a hangover. And it is even harder to do mindset work when you have a hangover. But if there is even a slight possibility that you will have a drink again in the future, you must learn and train yourself how to respond differently to the idea, to the suggestion that there even is a square one, that somehow it's even possible to go back. Y'all know that time travel is not a real thing, at least not yet, right? And telling yourself that you are back at square one invokes so much shame and even panic and fear. And you start worrying that you can't do this because you don't have enough willpower. And that makes you feel scared because why is this happening? Like what the hell is wrong with you? And all of those thoughts and feelings in the present moment, as you're sitting on proverbial square one, they evoke a nervous system response. Your brain is telling you a scary story and your body is believing it. And so your nervous system is getting all amped up with anxiety and fear and shame and panic. And the reason that you do this really boils down to a few false beliefs. The first belief is the one we were all raised with, that you're going to need to be punished because you did something wrong, and that punishment, beating yourself up, is somehow going to lead to better results. But if you could just step outside of that thought for a minute, when has beating yourself up ever worked? You know, if beating yourself up worked, wouldn't we all be perfect by now? Many of us get into the habit early in childhood of using shame-based motivation to try to achieve our goals. We think that it, the worse we feel, the better we're going to do. And so we actually become a little bit addicted to feeling bad because that's actually how we've learned to motivate ourselves. But shame-based motivation is a real pickle and also perpetuates the cycles of self-sabotage because if you're using shame to motivate you, you probably will get some short-term results. But the problem is that once you get those results, you're going to start to feel better. And when you start to feel better, the shame's going to go away. And when the shame goes away, your motivation to continue to pursue the goal goes with it. 
And then you start dealing with cognitive dissonance. You know, I do want to quit drinking or I do want to reduce my my drinking, but it's not really that bad. And obviously, I've got my shit together because it's been three whole days since I've reduced my drinking to only two drinks a night. And so maybe I don't need to worry about this. Maybe I can just relax and drink like a normal person because that's really all you want, right? You don't want to be thinking about alcohol all the time. You know, just as an aside note, when I did quit drinking finally and go into a period of several years of sobriety, it was such a relief to not have to think about alcohol. It's not even the physical effects, which of course were wonderful. I slept great. I didn't have anxiety every morning when I woke up. I didn't have a hangover. I didn't have wet brain where I couldn't remember, you know, more than three numbers at a time. I didn't have to pretend like I remembered how the movie ended or wonder who I texted last night and if I needed to apologize for stuff. Like, you know, all of that, that wasn't fun. But the real joy of taking alcohol off the table for as long as I did was that I no longer had to do a bunch of mental gymnastics to justify and validate and go back over the plan or make a new plan or worry about what's wrong with me or if I'm going to be able to keep going like this. Like that is so mentally exhausting and it's physically exhausting as well. You know, our brain can suck up to 40% of our energy. And it's kind of like having all your tabs open on your computer. If you've got subconscious worries in the background, even if you're plugged into your day and you're focused, if there's nagging concerns in the back of your mind about either last night or tonight or last weekend or next weekend, then that is draining. It's like leaving your car light on. It's draining your battery. And I know for me, one of the motivations that finally pushed me over the edge into a nice, long, healthy period of sobriety was I was just exhausted, which is why I think when I quit drinking, I probably slept 10 hours a night for like six months. I had a lot of healing to do, both physically and emotionally, because for years I had been consumed by the idea that the problem I was dealing with was that I couldn't stay sober. I couldn't control my drinking, which of course meant that there was something wrong with me. And if there is a square one, it is that belief that you can't stay sober because there's something wrong with you. But that is just a story you're telling yourself in your head. It's not real. So remember what I said, square one is about dealing with the present moment. And even though I said time travel isn't real, actually, that is exactly what your brain is doing. Your brain is going back and projecting forward, expanding the story. You know, if I couldn't stay sober or I couldn't get it right last night, then how am I going to stay sober over the holidays? How am I going to stay sober when I'm around certain people? Or when I experience a craving or feel triggered or just feel really stressed, like, how am I going to do this? But if you stop and deal with the present moment, none of that is real. And the key is to learn how to regulate your nervous system and learn how to manage your mind in the present moment and deal with one thing at a time. You see, alcohol use disorder is actually a thinking problem where I use the analogy in our 12-week program all the time 
where your brain is a junk drawer of tangled cords. Like just visualize that drawer you have with all your old chargers. Unless you've got a nifty little case of OCD, they're not all tidy and separated and clearly organized. At my house, there's a big tangled mess. And if you try to pull one, the whole wad comes with it. And it would take hours to sort through and untangle all of the cords. Well, that's the analogy I teach to explain thoughts and feelings. Feelings are just the felt sense of thought. So if you think about the charger cord, you've got one end that plugs into your brain, that's the thought, and then feelings, the other end, plug into your nervous system. And so for every thought, there's one feeling. And when you're dealing with alcohol use disorder, all of your thoughts and all of your feelings are all jumbled up, which is why everything feels so overwhelming and frustrating and confusing and why it's actually hard for you to even articulate what it is that's bothering you. And if you do articulate it, you'll notice it probably doesn't even make any sense. When I first quit drinking, I can remember being embarrassed about not having a drink because somehow in my tangled junk drawer, I had created an assumption that not having a glass of wine would be basically me admitting that I'm guilty of having a drinking problem. Like in what world does not ordering wine mean you have a drinking problem? Actually, not ordering wine might, in some circles, mean you don't have a drinking problem. But that's the sort of thought process that is typical with alcohol use disorder. We had a group call last week and one of the gals, I had her articulate because she woke up at square one and I had her articulate what was going on in her mind. And she shared how frustrated and how awful this felt to wake up with a hangover after weeks of sobriety because she was worried that if she couldn't stay sober last night, she's not going to be able to stay sober at Christmas, which means she can't do this at all because she's not strong enough because she doesn't have enough willpower. And so as the coach, it's my job to help her kind of untangle some of those cords. And so I said, let's throw this up on the board. Like, let's really look at what the bottom line here is. I said, what you are telling me is that because you drank last night and you feel bad about that, then the takeaway lesson is that you should just keep drinking. And she goes, yeah. And I just sat there in silence and I said, do you want to say that out loud? You know, just take that for a test drive in the reality department. And she said, yeah, I am not happy that I drank last night. So I guess I should give up and just go back to drinking every day. And I just sat there again and then she started laughing. She said, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, Yeah, welcome. Welcome to the after party where you have to untangle all the bullshit stories that you've been telling yourself. Once you say this stuff out loud and look at it from a outside perspective, it loses its power. You know, this is how we get wrapped up into alcohol use disorder because addiction is learning. 
Our brain is always trying to automate processes to make things easier for us. And when you let that learning process go unchecked, you never know what it is that you've learned. I mean, let's just revisit what we've come to believe by the time you, you know, are properly diagnosing yourself with alcohol use disorder, what you've come to believe about alcohol, such as if you're happy, you should have a drink. And if you're sad, you should also have a drink. And if you're tired after the end of a long week, a drink will perk you up. And if you're wired after the end of a long week, a drink will calm you down. Like all of those things can't be true. Alcohol doesn't have like super magical elixir powers. It's a drug and it's a depressant drug. It has a very predictable effect on your brain chemistry. It spikes up your dopamine and then it drops you on your ass. Meanwhile, your cortisol levels have also spiked because alcohol is a depressant and your brain doesn't want you to get so relaxed that you forget to breathe. So it spikes your cortisol levels and that's why you wake up in the middle of the night full of anxiety after the buzz wears off. And then the next day, you're dealing with lower than normal dopamine levels, so you're feeling less motivated, less happy, you're a little more irritable, and so you struggle to get through the day because you are in alcohol withdrawal. It doesn't matter if you are addicted or not, alcohol's a drug, there's always a withdrawal. And so what goes up must come down, and the next day you're a little lower, And so you misinterpret things in your life to be more stressful or more annoying or whatever, which is why by the time you get through that day, you're ready for another drink. And you're not consciously aware of the fact that the only reason you want a drink is to relieve the withdrawals of the last drink. It's not even that you necessarily want to get really high or really drunk. You're just uncomfortable and you want to make that discomfort go away. And over time, as you do this, your brain starts making a story like, oh, you know, if I'm sad, alcohol helps. And again, if I'm tired, alcohol helps. Or if I'm wired, alcohol helps. And so all of these assumptions that are created to justify why you would need to have another drink, because the real problem here is that the more you've used alcohol, the less you've had to rely on other coping mechanisms. And so over time, your ability to cope with your emotions and stressors has declined and your brain is filled in the gaps because that's what the brain does. It learns, how can I feel better, faster? And it's made the answer to be alcohol. And that's how we got here. You know, addiction really is just when you've been using a substance that depletes your baseline levels of dopamine over time, and you're using the substance to treat your low baseline levels of dopamine. I mean, that's what's happening on the biochemical level. But since you're not aware of that, then your brain has created a bunch of stories and a bunch of bullshit beliefs that don't make sense when you say them out loud, which is why healing from alcohol use disorder requires you to acknowledge this is a thinking problem, not a drinking problem. And you have to stop and pull all of those beliefs out of your brain and untie them, throw them up on the board, take them for a test drive in reality, and then realize they don't make any sense. But unfortunately, logic doesn't fix irrational emotional thinking. And so the process of healing alcohol use disorder, you're going to have to learn how to feel your feelings long enough to make sense of them instead of just looking for some way to make them go away. 
but your feelings won't go away until you resolve them. If you're ignoring and suppressing and avoiding uncomfortable feelings, you're just pushing them deeper into your subconscious and they're down there getting all tangled up, making stupid stories that are lighting your nervous system on fire. And the biggest mistake that we make is to think that if we get our behavior all right, so you've decided, you know, how much you're going to drink or you're not going to drink at all. And if you can just nail that goal, you will never have to deal with negative feelings again. And that is just not true. I don't care how long you are sober for, completely sober, you are still going to have the full range of human emotions. Like think of it as a bell curve. Every given day, or if you look at it over a month or over a year, half of all of your feelings are going to be below average. Not that great. And the skill that you need to acquire in order to never find yourself back at square one again is to learn how to respond to negative feelings. Because you are going to wake up feeling shame and regret and disappointment, whether you're drinking or not, but especially if you ever intend to drink again. I can have as little as half a glass of wine and wake up the next morning and think, ugh. And while I have never found myself, quote, back at square one, I have wondered if I'm on a slippery slope, and the slippery slope is a second cousin to square one, and it's all about how you respond in those moments. Because if you believe that you're on a slippery slope or back at square one, and you let your brain run off leash with what that means, pulling up all of those subconscious assumptions about how you can't control yourself and how you're never going to get it right, and how here you are again, and why do you keep screwing everything up? then those emotions are going to push you deeper so that you need relief from them. I would say an analogy for square one is like when you get your tires stuck in the mud and, you know, the more you push the gas, the deeper the hole gets as your tire spins and spins. The more you beat yourself up, the longer you're going to feel stuck. So you have to change the goal. You have to change your belief system. The goal is not to do everything right so you never have to feel bad again. It's to learn how to decrease the duration and intensity and frequency of painful emotions. And then you can begin to chart your progress over time. So instead of seeing, you know, drinking too much and then feeling bad about it, as a sign that something has gone wrong, you can look at it as an opportunity to practice managing your emotions, to responding to yourself with kindness and compassion, to giving yourself full credit for partial wins. And this is then how you end up shifting from a fixed mindset into a growth mindset. Let me explain that. See, a growth mindset is when you believe that you're capable of learning. You're capable of learning how to control your drinking or of how to stay sober and or how to manage your mind and or deal with negative emotions. A growth mindset recognizes that you are a person on a journey and there's going to be 
you know, two steps forward and one steps back. And the most powerful lessons usually come from failure. Sorry, but that's just the case. And when you have a growth mindset and you see the big picture that this is a process, when you have a problem or a setback, you double down and you ask for help and you go back to the basics and you spend more time practicing. Where the opposite, what you're used to operating in, is that you believe in any given moment that your strengths and weaknesses and personality just are what they are. You are the way you are. And when that mindset realizes it's hit a snag because you've woke up with another damn hangover, you can only see evidence of what is not possible. And so then you start telling yourself, you might as well just give up because it's pointless. And so you give up and just start making plans and telling yourself a story that you'll start over next Monday or next month, or maybe in January, like that sounds better, right? Let me explain an example of exactly how a growth mindset will move you forward and how a fixed mindset keeps you stuck, okay? Let's just say that you've decided to not drink for a month. And you do great for the first week. But on the second weekend, there's a wedding. And a few of your friends from out of town who you haven't seen in a while show up. And you end up having three drinks over the course of an evening. Well, a fixed mindset would call this square one. You would see this as a failure. And you would use the failure as an excuse to give up on the 30-day goal because it's just not going to work out. But a growth mindset would stop and look at the big picture and see that you just did a whole week of sobriety and that that is huge. And you would also realize that having only three drinks when you would have had 10 if you weren't trying is a huge win. And giving yourself full credit for that win will motivate you to continue towards your 30-day goal because motivation is fueled by evidence of progress. And in this story, if you see it as square one and a complete failure, which it is not, then that will manifest as a failure and square one. And if you see it as you're a messy, complicated human doing the very best you can, and actually you made some progress this week, even though it wasn't a full win, then you will continue to move forward. So if you take away anything from this episode, I want you to link in your brain the idea that square one, when you hear those words in your head, square one is your opportunity to completely change how you respond to negative feelings and setbacks. And that is your opportunity for growth. And yes, it sucks to pursue growth with a hangover but you've done it before and you can do it again. And the quicker you start moving forward and not sit in a pity party and telling yourself a sad story about how you can't control your arms from putting vodka into your mouth or whatever your drink of choice is, if you stop entertaining that story, you will quickly reclaim your power. You don't lose control of your drinking. You lose control of your thinking. Think back over your life and notice how much your thoughts about drinking have changed. It's your ideas about how much alcohol is good or bad that make you feel good or bad. In college, I thought it was perfectly normal and therefore probably healthy to drink till I puked every weekend and then sleep all day. 
And I never thought I had a drinking problem because I was in class on Monday and doing all the things. I didn't party during the week. So I never felt guilty or ashamed. Everybody was sick and hungover on a Sunday. I mean, that was part of the fun, right? Going to Denny's in the middle of the night and then sleeping the rest of the day. I felt like I was doing it right. I felt like I belonged. The guilt and shame didn't come until much later when I realized my tolerance was setting me into a whole different league and that not everybody drank an entire bottle of wine as a warm-up lap before they went to the party or continued to drink after they left the party. And because I didn't fit into my tribe, I felt ashamed about that. I felt the urge to hide it. But when I was away on a girl's trip, and everybody was drinking their face off and hung over the next day, I didn't feel ashamed then. So as I wrap up the episode, I want you to take a moment and review your own drinking career and notice that your worry and shame and guilt doesn't always coincide with how much you're drinking. Granted, a hangover ramps up your anxiety, no matter how solid you feel about your choices from the night before. But the definition of alcohol use disorder is when you drink more than you think you should, when you're drinking more than you really want to in your heart. So by definition, you don't have alcohol use disorder if you're super happy with your behavior and it aligns with your values and aligns with your tribe and aligns with your goals in life. Alcohol use disorder is a thinking problem. It's a mental health issue. There's a disconnect between who you want to be, who you pretend to be, and who you think you are behind closed doors. And that is what leads to the shame spiral. And that shame creates all these feelings and anxiety and low self-esteem and self-doubt that you want to escape. And the stress of fighting with yourself and feeling all of that all day long is why happy hour is so appealing, because you absolutely need the relief. So take a moment and do some self-reflection here. Look back over the big picture and notice how worry and shame about your drinking actually affects your drinking. And not only your drinking, but your hangovers or your experience of the next day. Is your hangover worse when you're beating yourself up from the night before? When you're on a trip or with friends who are drinking the same way as you are, do you experience hangovers to the same level or in the same way? And also, what is the impact of beating yourself up? Does telling yourself that you are a failure perpetuate failure, making it more likely to drink or overdrink? And then is the opposite true? When you're feeling like you've got wind in your sails and you've started a new routine and you feel like you've got some rules and some parameters that are serving you and you're feeling good about that, does progress then perpetuate progress? Because if you can just understand that this is a drinking, thinking, drinking, thinking cycle and trying to interrupt the cycle at the behavior of drinking can be helpful but it's often short-lived because you're not perfect and life is hard and there's stress and there's exceptions. And then you end up on square one or falling down a slippery slope, beating yourself up. And that actually pushes you further. And what would it look like to change strategies, to stop trying to control your drinking, 
to match whatever opinion you have today of the ideal amount of alcohol and of course get committee approval from all the people you're around, what if you stopped trying to control your drinking and shifted your focus to address this at the thinking level? What if you stepped outside and looked at the big picture and realized that it's not how much you drink in any given sitting that absolutely needs to change? It's the way you respond to yourself after that situation that makes all the difference in the world. I've shared in other episodes that the one promise I made myself when I reintroduced alcohol was not that I would never overdo it. That's not a promise that you can swear to keep any more than you can stand on the altar and promise to love and cherish and obey somebody for the rest of your life and then, you know, avoid divorce. It just doesn't work that way. Promises for the future are just thoughts and ideas. There is only ever this present moment. So for myself, what did I promise myself? Not that I would never overdo it, but that I would never abandon myself no matter what I did. I would always be team Colleen. I would always love and respect myself and take care of myself in any given moment. Of course, learn lessons from failures and mistakes and God forbid a hangover, but to never beat myself up. And now that I've developed the skills to manage my mind in those moments, that is a much easier promise to keep. I know I can keep that because it feels safe to make a mistake. Mistakes are an opportunity for growth to figure out what is it that I missed? How can I do better next time? What do I need in this moment or in the future to set myself up for success? Again, these are problems that my brain can actually solve, where beating myself up and asking myself what the hell is wrong with me, that's a horrible, awful thing to do to somebody. None of us would do that to our kids, and we've got to stop doing it to ourselves. Not even because we don't deserve it, but because it just doesn't work. And I can only imagine some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, if I am nice to myself when I overdo it or get it wrong, then I'll just keep doing it. But that's not how it works. When you are in active addiction, you are not drinking because you have an alcohol deficit or because you just really like alcohol. You're drinking because you want to avoid feelings. You're drinking because you're trying to escape your own mind and body which is why the solution is to make your mind and body a safe place to be. And I see the evidence of this truth in my own life and also with my clients. And you know, some of my clients are making slower progress towards their original goal to stay 100% sober than they might if they went into a 100% sobriety program and did make this all about the drinking and all about the alcohol. But that is a short-term solution. And most of the women have been in 100% sober programs before, which is why the appeal sounds good because they know if they, they just brainwash themselves and surround themselves with all the people talking about how they're powerless over alcohol and they could never drink again, like that does work. But then what in six months? Then what in a year? Shame-based motivation stops working when the shame goes away. And so my approach to changing your thinking about drinking is a permanent solution. Rebuilding your relationship with yourself, assuming you've ever had one, rebuilding that relationship so that you never abandon yourself again 
is how you're allowed to make mistakes in life and still make a lot of progress, is how you quit going back to square one. And so if this approach appeals to you, get into the show notes and sign up for my free masterclass to stop over drinking, where I lay out the steps to my accelerated recovery process, which includes nervous system regulation, self-directed neuroplasticity, growth mindset, and positive psychology, so that you can see the big picture of what it really takes to overcome alcohol use disorder for good. No more laps around the cul-de-sac of stupidity. My program is not an overnight fix. It is not a quick and easy solution, but it's a simple solution that will last you the rest of your life. So register for the masterclass in the show notes. And then now I want to make another announcement. And if you're still listening, you're my people. And so I'm talking to you. On November 13th, I am relaunching this podcast with a new name. The new name is... It's not about the alcohol. And the tagline is holistic recovery and emotional sobriety. And I've got all new cover art. I've got new headshots and I'm forming a pod squad and you are invited. Get in the show notes and click the link to join my pod squad. And on November 13th, I will send you an email and also a text message because I need all of you to Not only listen to my podcast on that day, or at least push the button and listen for three minutes and come back later, right? I need all of you to listen to the episode. I also need you to leave me a review, and I will have instructions on how and where to do that. I will make it very, very easy. Because the more of you that do that, if I can get a mass engagement on November 13th, I can launch into the top 100 and then be showing up on the charts. I need your help to do that though. And if you join my pod squad, I am giving away amazing prizes. The third place prize is a $100 Amazon gift card. The second place prize is a one hour free private coaching call with me, which is a $300 value. And drum roll please, the first grand prize is a free membership to my 12 week next chapter program, which is a $3,000 value. So if you can please get in the show notes, click join the squad, the pod squad, put in your name and text message. And then on November 13th, help me by listening to the episode and then leaving me a review as well as sharing this on either your social media or forwarding the email. You know, I always send out an email on Mondays with personal stories and talking about the podcast for the week. You have to do all three of those things and submit proof for that to qualify into the prize. And you you guys know, I don't have a huge audience. I mean, if I can get a hundred people to join my pod squad, I'm going to feel real strong about that. And so you have an amazing opportunity here to get one of those prizes. And even if you're not interested in one of the prizes, if you are still listening right now, you're my people and I need your help. Please click the link, join my pod squad and help me get into the top 100. It's going to make such a huge difference in my ability to continue to bring this podcast to you with no ads. So let that be your motivation because I hate ads on podcast, right? I mean, yeah, you can forward them and it's not that big of a deal. But I really want to hold out and continue to allow this podcast to just be my free offering to the world because it's just organically bringing me clients. That's what I really want. I don't want to put ads on my show and just run commercials for a bunch of stupid shit nobody really needs. 
So the takeaway from this is I want you to join my pod squad. And then I also need you to know that on November 13th, Recover with Colleen will no longer be my name. And you will have to find me under It's Not About the Alcohol. So please make a mental note of that, even if you're not going to join the pod squad so that you don't lose me. And go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever podcatcher you use, because that may transfer you immediately to the other one and make it easier for you to find. You don't have to search for me. Or go ahead in the show notes, I will also put a link for you to sign up for my Monday emails. And that way you won't lose me. And you'll know on the day I'll remind you via email to find me under It's Not About the Alcohol. I'm so excited about this relaunch and this rebranding. I've done a lot of work to really dial into the structure of my episodes and listening to all of you about what it is you want to hear, what is the most valuable content. And I'm working my tail off to create it and deliver it to you in nice, easy, digestible episodes. So if you're still listening, I appreciate you. Stay connected. If you're on social media, find me at Recover with Colleen, Instagram and Facebook, both of those. And I'll be posting all of the changes there as well. So you can stay informed. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope this episode really helps reframe what it is to be on a slippery slope heading back to square one and how exactly you can escape it. I'll see you next week.